Good morning and welcome to Entrepreneur Realities, the podcast of the Venture Lab of the Munich Technical University. My name is Antoine Leboyer and I'm the Managing Director of the Software and AI Tomb Venture Lab. We are joined today by my friend Ravi Vankates and Ravi and I, we met at the Harvard Business School where we were both members of the class of 92. After HBS, went back, Ravi went back to India where he ran major companies, the John Vetcher of Tata Cummins Engine producing diesel engines. He ran Marcos of India, he ran the Bank of Baroda. He has also been born member at various organizations such as Volvo, Infosys Itachi. He's also a special representative for the Young People Innovation at UNICEF and member of the Board of Trustees at Rockefeller Foundation. Ravi is a, is a recidivist in the podcast. We already had him as a guest, but not as part of his work in his professional life, but as the founder of GAME, the Global Alliance for Mass Entrepreneurship. And we uh, wanted to have this administration of his work as a social entrepreneur and also expand entrepreneurship, not also about deep tech and unicorn, but also something which is a force of social change. We mentioned at the end of the podcast that he was working on his latest book, which title is What the Heck Do I Do With My Life? Ravi, I'd like to know if this was the initial um, title that you've had. The book is a great book, which actually features the dinosaurs on the cover. I first read it as someone who's just on 60 and believed the dinosaur was for me. And then I realized that uh, the work, the book has actually quite a lot of messages which are very fit for the sort of uh, young entrepreneurs that I work at the Venture Lab. And on this logic, I asked Ravi to come back to the podcast. So Ravi, welcome back to Entrepreneurial Realities. Hi, Antoine. It's fabulous to see you again and to be in conversation one more time. It was so much fun the last time. I hope we can do even better. Very good. Ravi, what led you to write the book um, and, um, and, and write a book with such a great title? Well, um, I think you've known me now for 30 years, Antoine, and uh, perhaps you recognize that I have agonized personally over this question of what should I do, um, certainly every decade of my life. So, um, you know, so it's not a new question to me. What I began to realize in uh, starting around 2011, 10 years ago, is that many more people have the same question. And, it, and like it did for me, it keeps recurring over time. Obviously, the answer is different when you're 20 than when you're 40 and when you're 60. But the question remains the same. And so I wrote um, a series of articles related to this in 2013 in the largest Indian newspaper. And it was a five-part series, and it had over a million readers. Uh, in India, that's not such a large number, but it's a good number. <laughs> and people would come up uh, on the streets in a restaurant, on a bus, and say, hey, are you Ravi who wrote that article? Not, they didn't know anything else, but they knew the guy who wrote the article, and they liked the article. Then LinkedIn started becoming more popular, and I shifted more to my, putting my ideas on these issues. Um, on LinkedIn, and it became a huge success. In fact, one particular article five years later has three million views and still going strong. It says the, the IT party is over and reinvent yourself or, or perish or something like that. And that's when I began to realize that it's, there's, uh, this is an issue that is important to many people. The reason it is becoming so um, urgent is that the world is changing in dramatic ways 
And um, the problem with so much change happening at once is it's bewildering. It's overwhelming for a lot of people. And so I said, okay, maybe what I should do is organize my thoughts in a book. Now, the thing to remember is that very few people actually will buy and read the book. But it's a great way to organize my own thoughts to, and in the process of writing, trying to explain. It, forces, it forced me to become clearer about many of these ideas. And then, of course, somebody like you reads it, and it's an excuse to have a conversation with this audience. So if I hadn't written the book, I doubt we would have be doing this. Um, but uh, that's why I ended up writing the book. And as you can imagine, the working title had one word that was different. Yeah, um, I, was, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, so I had noticed that you noticed that. Um, and we said it's only a working title, so big deal. But as it came down to the wire, we said we'll keep the title. It's a good one. We'll just change one word. Um, and that's how it came to be. <laughs> Now, on, on, the, on the cover, you have this dinosaur, and um, you, you know that I, I, you and I, we have actually started uh, and we've done spent a lot of time with organizations that had to fight for survivals. So if you look at this notion of survival from a personal standpoint, what does this mean to be able to stay relevant and not be a dinosaur, not as a corporation, yeah. but as a professional individual? That's a great question, Antoine, because this whole book is written for individuals. I don't care whether organizations change, survive, thrive. That's not my job. Uh, my job is to try and get many more people thinking what it'll take for them to not become like the dinosaur. So what the dinosaur here is not a, a metaphor for somebody who's 60 years or older. It is a metaphor for the inability to adapt to change. Right. So 65 million years ago, approximately, there was this cataclysmic event when the asteroid crashed into the Earth. There was extreme um, and sudden change. 95% of all species could not adapt, including dinosaurs. They became extinct. Some animals and plants did adapt, including early mammals, our ancestors, and they became the dominant species. And so you know, it's a good story for these times because we are living in a period of, again, extreme change. Um, the change, uh, the world will change more in this century than in all of human history. And that's, of course, caused by the confluence, the convergence of many forces, whether it's climate change, technology, the fact that people are living much longer, which is not entirely a good thing. Um, then you have polarization around ideas. Every country, every continent is completely divided in its views. As a result, trust levels are low, so we can't solve problems. And in this, individuals have to make their life. And uh, the, the thing about change is it's not all bad. Change throws up huge opportunities and huge challenges. If you know how to grab the opportunities, if you know how to adapt to extreme change, you're going to do very well. But the converse is also true that if you can't adapt to change, if you're saying, why is this happening? When will we go back to the old days when things were better pre-COVID? Then things are not going to be too good for you. And the consequences can be quite devastating. So I wrote this book to point out that we're living at a point of uh, where the consequences are divergent. Okay. And so I said, look, I want you all to you don't have to agree with everything I've said or even anything I've said, as long as the questions make you think and you'll come to your own choices. 
Um, so that's that's the point around the dinosaur. Now, one of the things that you explain, and, and I want to position this with respect to the discussion that I have at the Venture Lab with, with some of the entrepreneurs, is that most of the entrepreneurs define their skills, their value add on their mastery of the latest, latest technology. And as you articulate extremely well in, in the book, this is something which has a limited lifetime. Can you elaborate and explain on this? Because I have the discussion with 99% of all the, the founders that I discuss with. Yeah. No, so this goes to um, actually two points. One is what skills are important? And then, of course, mindset as well. So a lot of people, you know, um, think that they should acquire some technical skill that will help them get a good job or do something. And those are important. Uh, but the problem is it's a moving goalpost. You know, you take any um, programming language, you know, Python or whatever. It has a half-life of less than five years before it's obsolete and replaced by something else. Or in these days, it's uh, machine-generated code, low-code, no-code. So even that skill is useless. Or you can be a um, .NET developer. Now everybody wants a full-stack Java developer or whatever. So these are useful, but everything turns obsolete and you just have to reinvent, your, relearn new things. So I actually looked at thing, what, is, what is beyond this. Are there any skills which are foundational, uh, which are the source of all these other things, and which will also be durable. 100 years from now, Antoine, if you and I are talking, these skills will still be relevant and valuable. And I came to the conclusion, yes, there are four. Um, and one of those is what's called learning agility. And learning agility is not the ability to just learn a new language. It is actually the ability when you're put into a situation beyond anything you've experienced. COVID is a good example. How do you learn to cope with it and then eventually thrive in it? Okay, so that's that's a very powerful thing during a period of great change. A second one is an entrepreneurial mindset. And this is very important for your gang. So look, not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody can become an entrepreneur, successful one. But in this century, everybody needs an entrepreneurial mindset and skills. Okay, it doesn't matter whether you're a a musician playing a cello or a comedian or a developer, okay? You need an entrepreneurial mindset. What is it about an entrepreneur, right? And you've been a successful one yourself, so you know this. There are four or five qualities which I think are very important in entrepreneurship. One is the ability to see an opportunity and grab it. This is very important today because every challenge we have is also an opportunity. If the world is drowning in plastic, it's a giant opportunity to build a recycling business or new packaging materials business. If the world is going, going to go through extreme climate change, this $50 trillion economy that's gonna happen around moving to a, a more sustainable economy. So lots of businesses to be built. So an entrepreneur is someone who is able to notice that embedded in this problem or crisis or unmet need is an opportunity to build a good business. And they not only see it, but they act on it. So that's one. The second one is they're resourceful. It doesn't matter that they have nothing in their pocket. 
this but an idea, but they'll figure out how to be mobilize resources. So resourcefulness is an important trait. Third one is problem solving. Every day you get up as an entrepreneur and the only thing guaranteed is there are going to be problems that day. And you have to learn to solve it and not cry about it. You have to be tenacious. You won't succeed and you won't, may not succeed four or five times and you have to keep tenaciously working at it, pivot to something new and eventually you find your way to succeed. So I said these attributes are something that everybody needs, okay? And as I said, even a musician, and I say that because you're a musician as well. Um, and the third thing that is important is what are called life skills, 21st century skills, but basically they're people skills. And I talk about this amazing work at Google, which looked at, um, it's called Project Oxygen, it's on the web, so some of you techies might want to go deeper into it. But Google looked at systematically who has been successful in Google, okay, over, over time. And what is it about them that made them successful? And it turns out it wasn't the technical skills. There were people with amazing technical skills, but they plateaued out. There were people who didn't have technical skills who are now running the company, like Sundar, okay? Um, and what matters is people skills your ability to communicate, to work with each other, to solve problems, creativity, um, critical thinking. These are the, the people skills are the ones that made them the most successful. And so in the book, I talk about why is it paradoxically, even as the world is getting more automated, why people skills are becoming more central. And the fourth one is leadership, but we will talk separately about it, Antoine. The really difficult thing is, None of these skills, these three skills of entrepreneurial mindset, learning agility, or people skills are taught in colleges. They're not taught in corporate programs, and they can't be learned in a classroom or online. The only way to learn it is experientially. So it puts a big, big uh, challenge on us individually saying, how do I pick up these skills? So, yeah, so that's the long answer of what I think makes the biggest difference over time. Sure, technical skills of one sort or the other are important. This is really important because a lot of the entrepreneurs, they are going to come with very strong technical skills, but they are going to have in an extremely short amount of time to build these generalist skills that you're developing, that you have been describing. And in other words, their technical skill is something which could be disappearing but as they go through the step of building their company, they are developing these generalist skills that you've been describing, which are going to help them further to be able to expand, to be able to be more relevant for what they are doing. So in other words, soft skills are more important than technical skills. This is what I'm really getting from what you've been describing. Yeah, these, more these, are, these are all, soft, it's, I, in the book I say, soft skills are the hard skills. So, yeah. Now, you also mentioned about leadership. And one of the, the professors that we've had at the Harvard Business School never described entrepreneurship with respect to deep tech or unicorns or things like this. He described entrepreneurship as the mean of being able to achieve great value beyond the amount of means which were, and resources yeah. which were available. That was actually the first the professors who gave us the first class who actually defined this. Can you talk about leadership and, and, and why 
everyone can decide to be a leader. You don't have to have huge amount of budget and responsibilities to be a leader. Yeah, I, I can go on for some hours on this. I devote a whole chapter to this issue of leadership, Antoine, because it is the central issue of our times, okay? And it is also the defining skill of our times. Now, if you forget about entrepreneurship and business, you look at around you, the society, what is the problem with the world? What is the problem in every country? What is the problem in every organization? It is, we have large problems. We know some of the solutions. We have even the resources, but we can't seem to solve them. The problems persist and get bigger. And you can clearly see that in climate change. Okay. And <clears throat> you can see it in every way. And around the world, people are groaning and moaning about the lack of leadership. And we seem to be starved for choice. And so I said, look, there's something wrong here. And what is wrong probably is our understanding of leadership is flawed. We tend to confuse leadership with position, title, formal authority. So somebody is a president and we call them leader. He may be the, worst, the most bureaucratic person who's afraid to make any decision because it could go wrong. He may have got there or she may have got there just by playing corporate politics, but yet we call them leader because they have a big title and some formal authority. That is the model that is not going to work for us in the 21st century. I think what we need to do is go back to an understanding of what leadership really means, which is it is a behavior. It's an action. It's a verb, not a noun. So leadership is based not on title, but on what, how you behave or act. And that's a very empowering idea because it means anybody, anybody can be a leader just because they act like them. And in my book, I give three examples, and I don't know if you remember them, of people of the most humble means who have no formal authority, no resources, and yet they're doing amazing things. One is this 12-year-old boy who's growing up in a municipal garbage dump on the outside of one of our cities. How can I forget about this example? Yeah, it's a stunning example. And I met the boy and there's a YouTube video with him. And he organizes all the other kids in the rubbish heap. And he's, they start doing good things. In COVID, they really help everybody. And he's the older ones are now teaching the younger ones. It's amazing. Then my neighbor here in the city of Bangalore, she's a housewife and um, a mom, and she uh, gets frustrated that the garbage outside her house is not being cleared, and she decides one day, screw it, I'm going to do it myself. And then others start following, and 10 years later, she's the leading waste warrior of the city of 15 million people. And the government gas will not even move without consulting her, okay? What resources did she have? Well, who gave her the power, the authority to go do this? Nothing. And what I want to see is a movement all over the world where people stop waiting to be rescued, okay? And start taking the future into their own hands. And if that happens, I think we'll, we're gonna be way more successful. Can I ask you what you're doing right now in your new position at Global Energy Alliance for People and Planet? Well, right now I'm trying to set it up. <clears throat> But uh, yeah, so I just took on this new mission called the Global Energy Alliance for People and Planet. And this is to um, essentially help the world move faster 
from fossil fuels to uh, renewables and all and in this process to also give access to energy to a lot of people who don't have access to energy today so they may still be burning little wooden sticks or little lumps of coal for their energy so we have three goals this is a global mission the goal number one is the fossil fuel transi transition and to take out 4 billion tons of CO2 by the end of this decade. So typically that'll involve decommissioning a big thermal coal plant in South Africa or Indonesia or wherever. The second is to give energy access to 1 billion people. And this will typically be through solar mini grids or things of that sort. And to create 150 million new jobs around the world in this process. And our focus is on 60 countries, which are typically the emerging economies, including the large ones like India, South Africa, or Indonesia, but also small ones. Um, so we are well-funded. We have about uh, $10.5 billion, $11 billion in capital, uh, which sounds like a lot of money, but typically this fossil fuel transition will be anywhere like 3 4 5% of GDP. So the real numbers are going to be very big, but our job is to be catalytic and sh show the models of success uh, and that can then attract larger players and more money to uh, make this transition. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm the chair of this uh, new entity and it's a not-for-profit uh, entity. I don't know why I end up getting stuck with all these not-for-profit things. I want one more for-profit, uh, like a unicorn and make a lot of money, but that seems to be for the next life. Let me ask you my usual last questions, whether you have any advice for our listeners beyond the fact of reading your book. Yeah, well, look, nobody wants advice, Andrew. Okay. But I think there are a lot of useful ideas in the book. But... Um, yeah, two or three bits of a, of perspective is, look, make sure your life really matters. You know, we are, we are both turning 60. I'll turn 60 a year from now. And as you look back at your life and suddenly realize you're mortal and there's only some time left, <clears throat> a lot of people have regret that they wasted their life. You don't want to do that, right? You want to live your life fully so that whenever the end comes, that there's by and large a sense of satisfaction. So don't waste it. And that means living your life in a very intentional manner. Thing that I talk about is too many people are just sleepwalking their way through life. Every morning they get up, they do something, and then they go to bed. They're just sleepwalking and they hope things will turn out okay. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. That's not how you want to live. I think you want to live in a way that where you're making conscious choices about everything. Conscious choices about where you live, who you spend time with, what you do, how you define success, um, you know, all these things, the legacy you leave behind, etc., um, etc. Et and the most important thing I would say, looking at my own life is, don't ever underestimate what you're capable of accomplishing, Okay. It is this idea that it's, he is high potential and she is low potential or average this is the most misguided idea in management. We all have enormous potential. It, it's present and manifests in different forms, but we should, you should never underestimate what you can accomplish through just vision, hard work, 
uh, and tenacity. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. Ravi, thank you very much. Entrepreneur Relate is available on major podcast platforms where you can find other inspiring presentations. Do subscribe if you like this podcast and want to hear more. Do give us a rating, let your friend know about it, and we look forward to having you for more Entrepreneur Realities. And read the book. <laughs>